The text for this morning's service is from Mark 16, verse 17 and 18, and verse 20. Let's read these once again. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink and eat deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. And they went out and preached everywhere, while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. After the sermon, we will sing from hymn 24, stanzas 1 through 6. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, at first glance, this text from Mark 16, I'm sure you agree, presents us with all kinds of difficulties. In the first place, we are told before the start of verse 9 that some of the earliest manuscripts do not include Mark 16, verse 9 through 20. It will take us too far afield to go into all the details of the reason for this statement, except to say that scholars, they all agree with this. They also agree that it is probably a later edition intended to harmonize Mark's account with those of Matthew, Luke, and John, which have some final instructions for the disciples that Mark does not have. Without it, the ending is, the ending at verse 8 is very abrupt. However, no one who believes the Scriptures would deny that God would be incapable of having these kinds of things described in this passage happen. Indeed, as we will see, most of the signs listed here did take place in the days of the apostles and are recorded in the book of Acts. The Lord Jesus himself even said in Matthew 17, verse 20, that nothing will be impossible for you. He said, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to here, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. And so it's not a problem to leave this last section in Mark as part of God's word. But what are we to make of the things described here in this text? And Jesus says to his disciples that they will drive out demons in his name, that they will speak in new tongues, that they will pick up serpents with their hands, and that when they drink deadly poison, they will not be hurt. And finally, that when they place their hand on sick people, they will recover. All they have to do is to believe, and they will be able to do these things. The question is, if we have faith, should we be able to perform these miracles today? Some charismatics think so. They claim to be able to do faith healing and to speak in tongues, 
Some even refuse medicine from the doctors because they believe that through faith, they and their children will be made well. There are even extreme cases of people picking up snakes or drinking poisonous substances just so that they can prove what a strong faith they have. What are we to think of all that? Is there something wrong with us? Do we lack faith because we can't do these things? Or is this meant only for the early church? A few weeks ago on Easter Sunday, we were reminded of the power of the resurrection. Through faith, we share in the resurrection and in all the power that goes with it. It gives enormous power to each person who believes. But it is a gift to believers only. But exactly, what is that power? That's what I want to preach to you about this morning. It's about the miraculous power Christ gives to the believers after the resurrection. And then in so doing, we will look at the relationship between, in the first place, faith and miracles, and in the second place, faith and God's Word. So it's about the miraculous power that Christ gives to the believers. First, then, the relationship between faith and miracles. If we want to know whether the kinds of things that happened in the early church ought also to be happening today, we first have to look at exactly what did take place at that time. What happened after Jesus Christ rose from the dead and the apostles were on their own? Did they then continue to perform miracles? No doubt you all know what the answer to that question is. They did. After Christ's resurrection and ascension, the apostles performed all kinds of miracles. Just think about Pentecost itself. The Holy Spirit descended upon the people who were gathered there, and tongues of fire came to rest on each of them, and then they spoke in tongues. Everyone could understand in their own language what was said. It was a miracle. After that, we also read about demons being cast out and about the disciples healing the sick. Listen to what it says in Acts 5, verse 16. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Miracles were performed all the time. Even the apostle Paul performed miracles. In Lystra, for example, Paul healed a man who was crippled in his feet and who had been lame from birth, never having walked in his life. All Paul did was to say, stand up on your feet. And he did. And when, when Paul was on the island of Malta, a viper bit him. However, he suffered no ill effects from the snake bite. These are just some examples. Many others could be cited. And so the kinds of things described in our text indeed did happen. However, there is another very important matter that we must consider. These miracles, brothers and sisters, did not always happen. As a matter of fact, 
most of the time they didn't. Even at times when you would most expect it. Think about the Apostle James. In Acts 12, verse 2, we read about his martyrdom. Herod had him beheaded with a sword. No one intervened. There was no angel to prevent that from happening. Right after James was beheaded, Herod arrested the Apostle Peter. However, an angel did appear in that case and rescued him from prison. He saved him from certain death. Why did a miracle happen in the one case and not in the other? And what about Stephen, the deacon? He was brought before the Sanhedrin where he spoke with great courage about his faith. Stephen was a very able defender of the gospel. You would think that that would be enough for the Lord God to intervene and to prevent it from happening that he would be killed. But no angel comes to his aid. There is no miracle here either. As you know, he was stoned to death. And what about the Apostle Paul himself? He was beaten and whipped and left for dead. Several times he suffered shipwreck, and he was jailed many a time. How is it possible? Could God not have prevented these things from happening? Couldn't he have performed some miracles? Of course he could have, but he didn't. And what about the thorn in Paul's flesh? We do not know exactly what it was, but we do know that it was quite painful and debilitating. We also read that he prayed three times to have that thorn removed, but the Lord did not grant him his wish. Why not? Did Paul lack faith? Why could the man who laid his hands on so many for healing, why could he himself not be relieved from the thorn in his flesh? Think also about the martyrs of the early church. They were strong believers, yet they were thrown to the lions. Their property was confiscated. Their families dispersed. They were made to suffer great hardships. There were no miracles for them either. Many of them perished. And so it cannot be that those miracles did not happen because of lack of faith. What then was the case? Well, what do you think the purpose of miracles is? Why does God have them happen? Why did he give gifts of healing, of tongues, and prophesying? Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, deals with this in his first letter to the Corinthians. He speaks there about the various gifts that are given in the congregation at Corinth. Listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 29 and following. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But eagerly desire the greater gifts. Do you know why he says these things to them? Well, he says that to that church in Corinth because there is a division in that church. 
that's clear from chapter 12, verse 25, and chapter 14, verse 33, where he speaks about division and disorder and lack of peace in the church. That division and discord was due to the way that those various gifts were being used. Those who did not have, for example, the gift of healing were jealous. They also wanted to have that gift. And so it was with the other gifts as well. They became jealous of each other. They resented each other. They misused their gifts. They used those gifts for their own honor and glory. They used those gifts to show off to each other. Look at what I can do. Look at how great my faith is. But what was the purpose of those gifts? Well, God gives his gifts only for his glory, not for the glory of man. He gives them for no other reason than that his church may be built up and increase. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 12, so with yourselves, with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. That's what it is all about. These gifts are given to build up the church, not to tear it down. For that's what you do when you make others feel left out. In this way, you make divisions in the church. He makes that clear in verse 23 and 24 of that same chapter where he compares the speaking of tongues with prophesying. He says that speaking in tongues is one thing, but prophesying is something else. Prophesying is understood by all, but not speaking in tongues. Through prophesying or the preaching, people will be convicted of their sins and so seek their salvation in Jesus Christ. And so that is the greater gift. But what is the ultimate gift of the Holy Spirit? What is that one gift that they should aspire to and that excels? That's the gift of love. The gift of love which Paul so beautifully describes in 1 Corinthians 13. He says that if they really want to build up the church, then they must show love towards one another. Love does not boast. Love is patient and kind. True love seeks the well-being of others. Paul says in that same chapter that all those exceptional gifts as speaking in tongues and healing are indeed wonderful, but they're temporary. For he says in verse 8 of chapter 13, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. Love, on the other hand, together with faith and hope, those three will last forever. But the greatest of these, he says, is love. When the Lord Jesus gave these special charismatic gifts to his disciples, it was a, a very special time. 
At that time, the church was still being built up. The Lord God used the miracles to bring man to faith. Those miracles came in the support of the word. When did they cease? Well, it appears that they ceased after the apostles had died. For you do not hear about these kinds of gifts and miracles any longer in the early church. But it doesn't mean, however, that they ceased altogether. Brothers and sisters, miracles do happen. Also today. That's why we can pray for miracles too. And they happen especially on the mission field. But why did they and why do they occur? Well, only in service to the Word of God. Only so that God's greatness and power can be made manifest here on earth. It is about the glory of God, not the glory of man. Makes us to the second point. Brothers and sisters, the word always comes before the miracle. God spoke, and then what happened? Well, it came to be. It was the word that made the miracle happen. You can never separate the two. The word, however, is most important. The Lord God did not intend for the disciples to become mere magicians and miracle workers. No, what did they have to do? They had to go out and preach. That was their most important task. That's also the case today. Everything has to serve the word so that the gospel, the glorious gospel of salvation may be advanced. So that man would come to repentance and give glory to God. The Lord God, he himself determines how that word is spread and by what means. And he uses different means at different times. He is always in control of all events. There are times for miracles and there are times for no miracles. Look at the life of the Lord Jesus himself. He could perform a miracle at any time. And he did that on many, many occasions. However, certain times were inappropriate for miracles. When Christ hung on the cross, he could have easily have removed himself and walked away from it all. But he knew that that did not serve the Father's purpose. And therefore, he had to go through with it. We don't always understand, the Lord Jesus did, but we don't always understand what God's purpose is. When adversity happens in our lives, he knows. The Lord Jesus Christ, he could not walk away from the cross. It was time for God's purpose in him and through him to be fulfilled. God's time had come. And now his task on earth was at an end. The Lord God determined that. And so the Lord also determines when miracles do happen and when they do not happen. And he also determines how our lives are used for the furtherance of God's kingdom. 
In Luke 10, we read about the sending out of the 72 disciples. They were sent out two by two. In Luke 10, verse 17, we read that the 72 returned with joy, and they said to the Lord, Even the demons submit to us in your name. And do you know what the Lord Jesus said to them then? He said in verse 20, Do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. What is so important about their names being written in heaven? Well, that shows that they are God's children and that he is using them to spread the gospel. Everything is subordinate to the word of God, the gospel of salvation. Peter was allowed to preach the Pentecost sermon in Acts 2. But James was beheaded. Stephen was stoned to death, but the other deacons were allowed to continue to do their work. And nevertheless, God used all these men for his purpose. James was the first martyr of the Christian church. There were many more after him. It is said that the blood of martyrs was the seed of the church. There's a certain truth to that. For the people saw how they died for the sake of the gospel, and they saw how those martyrs could not deny it, and how they were willing to give their lives for it. It made the others think God had a purpose. It also made Paul think as he stood there while Stephen was stoned. Not long after that, he too was converted on the road to Damascus. The Lord uses whatever means he has at his, dis at his disposal, not so that our names may be glorified, but so that his name may be glorified. But you may say, well, isn't it too bad that today miracles are no longer being performed? Wouldn't it be much better if that were the case, would we be not much more effective in spreading the gospel if we were able to do that? Uh, do you really think that miracles are not happening right now? They are. Every moment of each day, the very fact that you and I are alive is a miracle. The fact that the sun is shining is a great miracle. The fact that the grass is green again and growing is also a miracle. So is the gift of birth. And everything else in this creation which shows that there's an almighty God who made it all and who sustains it all. Open your eyes. But the unbeliever, the world around us is blind to all that. They're blinded by their own desire for self-sufficiency, by their desire to be their own boss and their own saviors. Whatever does not fit their agenda, they reject. And that is why they will not be convinced either if you do not, if you do something out of the, out of the ordinary, which we would call a miracle. It won't give them faith. Their hearts need to be changed. And only then will they change their minds. Why do you think, for example, that 
even though it is an undisputable scientific fact that a baby in the womb is a human being with its own bloodstream and its own DNA, that they will deny such an obvious scientific truth because that truth is inconvenient. And so they are deluded and blinded by their own selfish ambition or by their own fears. They want control at all costs. It's for that very reason that they do not want to believe in God either. To worship God means that you have to trust in Him. It requires you to listen to Him and to allow Him to define you as to who you are. To believe in Him means to glorify Him and not yourself. It means to boast in God and not your own piety and abilities. Oh, sure, life is difficult. Things happen that leave us perplexed. And you'll do anything to find a way out. You or a loved one is afflicted with a terrible disease, or you're confronted with death, with financial ruin. Friends betray you. Loved ones abuse you. You're full of despair. And at times like that, you feel powerless and at your wit's end. However, it is only if you believe in the power of God that you can overcome these things. Through faith, you and I have been given the power of the resurrection. What an enormous power. When Jesus told his disciples that through faith they can move mountains, he stood before them as one who was able to do everything, even to defeat death. That defeat is the greatest miracle on earth. He crushed Satan and death, showing that he is the God of life. And therefore, we have to listen to him, brothers and sisters. We have to believe the words that he spoke. Only God's word can give you life. With all the miracles that the apostles were able to perform after Christ's ascension, they could not convert one single person. Why not? Because only God's Word can do that. Only God, who works in the hearts with His Holy Spirit, can bring about that wonderful change in a person's life. Only the Holy Spirit can bring you from death to life. And brothers and sisters, that is the word that has been given to us now. Farmers are about to seed their fields. Maybe they started already. And there are a lot of components that have to be favorable for a good crop to grow. The soil must have the right nutrients. It has to have the right moisture. It has to have the right warmth of the sun. There are many factors that go into the equation. And then we may worry about our crops, will they grow? Or we may worry about our own health and well-being. But then, brothers and sisters, we must remember the power of God's Word. He is the one who creates life, and He is the only one who sustains it. He is the one who makes the crops to grow. 
He is the one who makes life to flourish. And he does that in his way and in his time. God has a purpose for everything. He knows what is best. And sometimes he puts obstacles in the way. Think about how that functioned in Paul's life. He used a thorn in Paul's flesh to make his name great. Paul had to acknowledge that when he is weak, he is strong. For in his weakness, God's greatness was shown. God's power was also shown in the conversions that came about all over the Roman Empire through the preaching of Paul. That thorn kept Paul humble. It made him depend on God alone. Brothers and sisters, a great miracle occurred when the Son of God rose from the dead. Because of that miracle, you and I, we do not have to be afraid of anything. Through faith, we may share in that miracle today. All the other miracles pale in comparison. The miracle of Easter was that God showed his love for his creation, for you and for me. Through that miracle, we are born again. We are given life. We are given eternal life. God shares his power with us, miserable sinners. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't it wonderful that you don't have to be afraid of anything? The miracle of the empty tomb is all we need to know. That God is with us now and forever. Amen.